Hi, Dander Brown. Here's another bonus episode for you. I'm just giving these bonus episodes out like it is candy this month because it is Mental Health Awareness Month and Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Two very important recognitions that we must give, and hopefully we're observing these every day. But at the same time, the combination is just too ripe because there's so much to explore with the intersection of mental health and in our case, South Asian culture. Of course, you've seen by now a episode with Norella DaCosta, a marriage family therapist um, who talks really in depth about different ways and the gravity of mental health. You've also seen Radha Dalal, who is a self-love coach, talk about how we can reframe certain conversations so we could also think about solutions of how we can help ourselves when maybe we're starting to get on the fence of mental health burnout. Today, though, I'm not talking to anyone who is academically educated or certified in mental health. So you might be wondering, then Lahari, what are we doing here? The reason I'm here talking to a friend is because sometimes we just do need a friend, someone who not necessarily is qualified from, again, that educational sense, but someone who is there to tell you that, hey, this is how I met this mental health space. This is what I went through. Maybe we have this in common. This is how we can approach it together. And that's why I wanted to solidify sort of my delta of mental health content this month with a perspective of just two friends talking about mental health and how it really played a part coming from childhood to now modern day when we're adults. Of course, again, this is something that is only capturing a section of the conversation. There are so many dimensions to this. And the biggest thing that we've come to realize is that growing up as children of immigrants, we really simplified a lot of emotions. There was a lot of complexity that we might feel, but in our families, we just boiled it down to, I'm fine. Don't don't worry so much. Don't be sad. Just do this, like yoga, or just breathe a little. And we would shrug things off. But what happens when you do want a deeper answer? What happens if you want to spend more time understanding it and unpacking it? At times, we haven't felt supported in our communities um, as, as much, and there's no one to blame. You know, our parents were just trying to survive and get move forward. But I think this is a lot of what even Brown Girl Therapy does credibly talk about in her space and field of work that we are talking about in terms of, hey, that's how I related to her expert content um, as someone who is just your average Joe Safina. So with that, I'll pass it over to Mina. Hi, Mina. Welcome to Down to Brown. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like we've been talking about this for quite a while now, and the time has come. eternity. (laughs) Yes. And it goes to show, though, mental health is never a tired topic. It is always relevant. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it is as relevant as it was when we first talked about it back in fall of last year in 2020. Absolutely. So I you know, want to jump right to it. Yeah. When did you first learn about this concept of mental health? You know, today we use this term so much. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a better understanding of it. But what's your meet cute story with the concept of mental health? <laughs> That's such a such a good question. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, too. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I actually heard the term coined mental health when I was in high school. And it was because my mom 
who worked for many years at Kaiser Permanente. Shout out to her. Now she's retired. Um, but when I was in high school, she started working for uh, this clinic near our home and she was working for the mental health clinic. And I was like, well, what is that? What's mental health? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think through her, I learned a lot of what I had already known about the topic, but I never knew a phrase to call it anything. Um, so yeah, it was really in high school that I realized what mental health was, that it was actually something that people talk about, people express themselves with, people show up. You know, it's not necessarily this taboo word that I feel like a lot of society has turned it out to be. Um, it's more so like when I think of mental health, I think of it's your emotional well-being. It's your physiological well-being, your social well-being, and it's it shapes who we are. And it's it's not a bad thing. Whereas I think if you were to ask me in high school, it would be like, oh, mental health, that is, we don't want to talk about that because, you know, mm -hmm. I'm doing good. So I think this, there's also been a huge shift around the way we talk about it. Absolutely. I'm actually really envious that you knew about this in high school. In high school, I think I was exposed by the Beautiful Mind movie. <laughs> I was really fascinated by mm you know, things that can basically psychological illnesses. Um, mm -hmm. But that's what I was exposed to was mental illness. So I knew mm -hmm. a lot about mental illness. But I think mental health, I didn't know until like corporate trainings in my young 20s, mm. where they're basically like, preserve your mental health, but we're also going to give you a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so um, that's the first time I heard. So I'm really impressed that you knew about this so early. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point where I think before or early on when I was learning about mental health, it almost was synonymous with mental illness. Like you talk mm -hmm. about mental health, but it's more so you are maybe going to therapy or you're talking to a psychologist or maybe you're expressing yourself and feeling, you know, feelings of depression or anxiety. Like those were things that I associated mental health with. And I mm -hmm. realized it's actually, those are definitely components of it, but it's not everything that makes up mental health. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, a really great point, especially in terms of it, what I heard there was, A, that's probably how a lot of the stigma and secrecy and shame and guilt mm -hmm. is formed that yeah. we all know so well now and are talking about more broadly. Mm -hmm. But then also it shows, B, you know, it's something we think about when something goes wrong mm -hmm. versus proactively. And I think that's been at least I'll speak for myself. My personal journey has been more about how to shift from retroactive to proactive mental health um, recognition and moderation. Yeah, absolutely. So we all learned, I mean, even whether or not we knew about it before, hopefully we did, but we had our boot camp in mental health with the pandemic hitting. Um, I think all of us struggled with and found certain joys that found many pains with 2020. So mm -hmm. I'm curious how you dealt with last year and how did you, what did you learn about mental health and yourself during this time? Well, first of all, I want to say 2020 was a wild roller coaster. <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sure all of us can safely say that we had to literally take it day by day because it was, it was hard. It was really mm -hmm. hard. And I think I definitely know 
in March of 2020, I was like, oh, we're just, you know, this is a two week thing. We're going to ride this out. And then in April, it was like, oh, there, you know, it's just going to be a few more weeks. No big deal. And then it was (laughs) like, oh, no, this is not going to be ending soon. And we have to really shift how we think about things and how we do our day to day lives. Right. It was it was really hard. Um, I think. 2020 brought a lot of self reflection, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, we were living in our homes with the ones that we, you know, are lucky to have around us. I was with my husband, Henry and our dog, Hank. Mm -hmm. Um, And having, having people around definitely made it easier. But it also made it harder because, you know, there were moments where I was like, I'm doing great. And then literally, I'd be like, no, I'm not. But yeah. you, you know, you wouldn't want to necessarily um, sit in those thoughts or emotions because I don't know. There was this feeling of like there were moments where I'd be scared, and then there are moments that I would be optimistic, and then there would be moments where I'd be angry about just everything that was going on. Um, that that I think paired with everything that we had to adapt to in 2020. I think the word that comes to mind was or is resilience. Mm. And I I actually think about this word a lot because I feel like my dog Hank is very resilient. (laughs) Like he'll be walking down the street, we'll be walking and, and all of a sudden he'll like trip or he'll like fall over something and then he'll just get right back up and he'll have a smile on his face and he'll just keep going. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of feels like how 2020 was, you know, we kind of like tripped over ourselves a few times. Um, You're basically living with like a guru of a dog. (laughs) Dishing out lessons. I know. He doesn't even have to say a word to tell me, you know, how, how to be grateful for what we have right now. Um, But I think that's the other word that comes to mind is gratitude. Mm -hmm. Having the health, right. Having the opportunity to work from home having the opportunity to use the technology that we have today. I don't think I would have been able to make it through 2020 without FaceTime or without, you know, Netflix. Yeah. Um, So I think there, you know, mental health for me last year really required a lot of conversations around like, how are we feeling today? And we may not want to address it or we may not want to talk about it and that's okay, but really asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it required me to focus in on certain things that were therapeutic for me. I have been working out for years, maybe like 15 years now. I started working out when I was in college as a form of therapy and gyms were closed. I didn't know how else to express myself. And so I started to pick up outdoor running and I'm not a runner by any means, but just the simple fact of being able to get outside and have that alone time where you can just disconnect from everything and even disconnect from your thoughts sometimes when you're just, you know, going through the motion of movement. I think that was definitely therapeutic for me. Um, yeah, what a great solution yeah. to help exercise that literally. <laughs> but I actually wanted to go uh, harken back to something you mentioned mm. about the two terms I wrote down were resilience and gratitude, mm-hmm. which I absolutely adore. And I agree. The thing I struggled with with the latter gratitude 
was that sometimes in our families, especially children of immigrant type culture at home can be gratitude to the nth degree of where even when things are going wrong or they're really tough, we sometimes might not uh, confront those feelings because we should be grateful. Mm. So a lot of the times it's like, you know, even recently when I was struggling with something first, my dad brought up like, but you should be grateful. You have this and you have that. And I'm like, certainly I do feel grateful. And he was trying to help. But Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I was like, well, it doesn't disregard the fact that I'm still feeling like shit. (laughs) So um, how do I stay grateful and conscious of that? But at the same time, am I ungrateful for acknowledging how I feel right now, which might not be pleasant or grateful at all? Mm. I think, you know, that's such a good point. You definitely do have to sit in those thoughts where, you know, if something's not, if it doesn't feel good, right? The pandemic last year, it was, there was a lot of unknown and there was a lot of, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week. I would get anxious just thinking about grocery shopping and interacting with people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think little things like that were oftentimes in our livelihoods, we don't stop and consider everything around us. I think that's where sometimes we get lost in all of the motion. And so when I talk about gratitude, I think of more of like holistically, right? I know I'm always going to be grateful for everything I have. And there are definitely going to be moments where, you know, I feel upset. I feel, you know, discontent or unhappy with whatever's going on. But I don't, I think for me, it's, I'm not sitting in those thoughts permanently. It's not a permanent state of mind. Um, And our feelings that we feel It's exactly that. Like we're feeling it today and that might shift tomorrow. So I think, you know, I I hear what you're saying, but I also think that gratitude is, if we can look at our entire day and even pick out three things that were like, yes, this served me well, it does shift your mindset. It really, really does. I really do believe that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's our perspective of how we want to look at things. And I mean, It's easier said than done. Do not get me wrong on that. It's so much easier for me to say like, yes, I'm grateful for this. And the other side to that is actually feeling that gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. It's one thing for me to share that with you, but it's, if I don't feel that, then it's not doing me any good and it's not, you know, serving me and serving my mental health. Yeah. And that's, I think therein lies the work because that conflict and tension that can come up based on situations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that actually leads me to, I'm curious how mental health was talked about in your family. Yes. (laughs) Mental health in the South Asian family. So uh, my family and I, we are Punjabi. So we're from North, North India. It was not a dinner topic. It was not something that it's like, how are you feeling today? No, that, that's not necessarily how mental health was talked about. It was more so for me, at least what I remember growing up, it was individual conversations, right? Like with, with my mom, I can think of moments where she would ask me how I'm doing and I'd just be like, I'm so upset. And she'd be like, well, why are you upset? I don't know. I'm just so upset, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure there were a variation of moments that from my childhood up until, you know, now that I can think of some of which were silly moments and some of which were more 
thought provoking, right? Like when someone passes away or, or something like that, you really have to tap into some feelings that you don't want to talk about or share. But within my family, it was not something that we talked about regularly. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's like the surface level question. How are you doing today? You know, how was your day? And there's the like really in-depth conversations where you're talking about like, you know, today at school was not good or I just failed a test or, um, you know, I think as a child of immigrants, I had very high expectations for myself and I never wanted to disappoint my parents. So for me, yeah. I think I always, even if I felt like I wasn't, you know, doing everything that I could be, like I, I tried not to convey that to my parents. Um, I tried to let them see like all the positive things that were going on, right? Like I just got an A on my exam or I just tried out for the basketball team and I made it. Little things like that where they could feel proud because I, I wanted mm -hmm. to feel that from them. You know, I wanted to make my parents proud and I wanted to hear that they were proud of me. Um, so yeah, I just, I think overall I would say early on mental health was not talked about. I think that's very different today and, um, in recent years where I'm comfortable expressing myself to my parents. I have two sisters. I'm comfortable expressing it to them, how I'm feeling. I'm comfortable sharing how I feel with Henry, but it's, um, it's taken time. I'm such a reserved person. I keep to myself. I'm pretty private in terms of like how I'm feeling because you don't want to burden anyone. I think that's how I feel at least. Like That's interesting. Yeah. When I'm feeling something, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I tell, you know, my crappy day to someone else, like, well, they might've had a crappy day too. And like, now they have to take on what I'm feeling how can I offset that? You know, so I tried to internalize a lot of what I experienced growing up. Um, and I really relied on journaling. I feel like writing it out definitely is therapeutic. And then I realized, you know, I can't solve everything by myself. And sometimes you don't even need somebody to solve it for you. You just need somebody to listen. Definitely. Wow. So much you said stood out to me. One is that it's, it's, I'm really intrigued by the fact that you use the word burden mm. um, to describe the uh, that dynamic of wanting to share what you're thinking. And I think uh, honestly, in, in one way, it's really considerate um, because I do think that's something that we learn over time that just like expressing yourself without like intention, conscious intention can also be infectious. Mm -hmm. uh, so I absolutely agree with that piece. And I think we've become more thoughtful. The older you get, I guess you become a little bit more thoughtful about the energy you're exerting, but maybe you're a very wise younger person too. <laughs> um, but the other piece is uh, I, I, I do struggle with thinking of our feelings and thoughts as burdens mm -hmm. because it does bring me back a little bit to your uh, what you brought up with your family, because I think a lot, I, I have talked to a lot of women who have voiced what you did around feeling like they will disappoint their parents um, or worry them or guilt them or make mm -hmm. them feel bad in some way. And I think it's um, by sharing their feelings. 
I think partly it also comes from the fact that we are, we're cognizant of the sacrifices they've made. They've worked really hard to be here and do what they're doing. We mm-hmm. watch their struggles and then you're like, well, I'm not going to like then burden you with all of that. Yeah. Um, however, at least how it manifested for me, um, I noticed that in doing that, I would only want to make them proud and tell them the positive. So I would live for achievement so that I could tell my parents. But I wouldn't say anything about like when things were hard or tough or I was starting to feel vulnerable and like maybe burnt out. And so it was always like until it got worse and I snap that then Mm -hmm. I tell them and they're like, oh, you should have told us. And like we go through this whole pattern every single time up until this day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I find it really interesting, this concept of burden, disappointment it can also affect the way that we then also bring them along. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in some way, I feel like there's in part we have to because they're the way mental health was talked about when they were growing up might be a little different than how we are more prominent about it. That's really interesting um, that you say that. Is there anything specifically that jumps out to you with like your mental health journey, how you've grown to express yourself Mm. I like many people would hearken back to my parents and specifically the difference between my mom and dad, because they are definitely like their foil characters. So my dad is very much someone who was the first born of a really big family. Um, so not just within his other three siblings, but also within like the, his father's family as a whole. So there was a lot riding on him. So he kind of focused on like working hard, moving forward, being, you know, achievement, um, right or wrong driven and very much like, what do I need to do duty wise? And if emotions occurred, I don't think he allowed a lot of space for it because I think for him, it was like, ain't nobody got time for feelings. Like I need to move forward. So he'd like simply simplify the feeling and move on. There was not a lot of like depth and in search of what was going on. My mom, on the other hand, is the youngest of seven. And so she had a lot of personalities. And, you know, when you're that young, like how much you see in the family and how much you haven't seen, I think shapes you. And so she was very much an absorber, a nurturer, a caretaker, someone who was available to help everyone out. And so she very much brought that to me as a parent. And I was the oldest and my sister didn't come along for another six years. So during that time, I think, um, because my dad was always traveling and I was also showing up to be a very like talkative, loud, obnoxious, um, very, you know, I was getting in trouble all the time. I was very creative and I was really expressive. And I had the parent who amplified that basically around. And so she really encouraged my creativity, et cetera. And my dad sort of resisted it for a long time. And even to this day, like, you know, those words, like you're, you're very emotional. You're very, you know, those things, um, which we can use as a positive, but typically in our culture, it can be kind of seen as like a negative association. So I think my expression was really shaped by my mom and it was great growing up because we shared everything together. Like a large part of, you know, my six years, like we had each other to talk to, like pick up from school, drop off. And she was a stay at home mom. So I was lucky in that I could dissect everything on my mind with her. On the flip side, as I got older, people just don't operate that way. You know, you start to individuate and you don't share everything with your parents. And so it created a lot of awkwardness for me as I transitioned into becoming 
self-reliant and really thinking about what I really needed to share with my parents, what I wanted to share with them and understanding those boundaries. And luckily therapy really helped, but I think a large part, and I know I'm not alone, but a large part of this experience as we get older and we're dating and we're working and we're like with friends and picking friends and, you know, partners, it can be hard because sometimes you look in their eyes, you see that there's something different because you might be sharing more than they're used to, or like the way your relationship is with certain people in your family might be a little different than what other people do in like the mainstream American culture. And so, um, yeah, I think that's kind of where my, but I think my mom really contributed to a lot of my search for, it wasn't enough to simplify emotions the way my dad did personally. I liked to dive deep into them and really understand them, connect to other fields of study or texts and messages and talk to friends and like, you know, really explore that. And I think that's how it helped me kind of express myself and also search for how to express myself. So based on the stories that you and I just shared, it sounds like our families were rather cordial and receptive to what we talk about today when it comes to mental health. I'm not sure about you, but this has not always been the case for me. It it was a lot of work um, leading up to them looking at it maybe similarly to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we hear a lot of responses growing up, even in the South Asian community. They're not really fully to blame because there's so much stigma. What are some of the responses you typically heard in your specific South Asian community that you were surrounded by um, when someone in the community goes to therapy or admits burnout? I have heard a variation of that. I think with therapy in particular, it almost implied like something was wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who was open to going to therapy and actually sharing that with within our family or extended family, it was like, oh, something must be wrong with them. And it's, you know, good for them for seeking out help, but, you know, the parents should be helping or the siblings should be helping. And it's that word of like, should, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think it's more of like within the South Asian community, families don't want to feel like they're airing out their dirty laundry. And I feel like that's almost what therapy seemed like before, right? Maybe not now in current state, because I feel like more, and this isn't necessarily for all South Asian families, but I feel like more families are more open to the idea of having their loved one express themselves to a third person Mm -hmm. rather than within their immediate family. But yes, it was a lot of like something, you know, must be wrong with them. I definitely thought about therapy, although I never went to therapy. I've definitely thought about it. I've considered it. And it's more so for me going back to the idea of, well, I don't want to burden people I know. Let me express myself to someone I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up finding that in other ways. But I think the other thing is like the, a common phrase I'd hear, which was so ironic to me was you're fine. You're fine. You're, you're okay. You're fine. And I'm like, Well, but I'm not like, I'm actually telling (laughs) you, right. I don't feel good in this moment. And I think it was a response. It, for me, it's always like looking back, it's like, I know it's coming from love, but it's like, I don't think, you know, our loved ones necessarily know how to respond to something like that where someone's seeking help or it might be the flip. They're not seeking help, but they should be. 
right? Like how do you respond to someone like that before it's too late, right? Before you actually lose that loved one. Um, Yeah, there, unfortunately I've lost loved ones from, uh, from them taking their own lives. And I think when you look back at those sort of situations, you always wonder the what if, right? Like, what if I reached out? What if I, you know, saw the signs? Were there signs? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's the, the notion of it's okay to talk about those things, even if you're being told you're fine. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry for your losses and um, that, changes the game so much, you know, when we start to see that and it highlights so much of, especially to that point of yours, what could have been done differently and like going down that journey, I think even hopefully preventatively in our society and our Mm -hmm. community, if we could look a little bit about um, the behaviors we've practiced and internalized around mental health, like, so what you mentioned earlier around it's either what is wrong with you or I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't, you have to either like go one or the other. And it's interesting when something is just a sadness or an anger or frustration, maybe you don't feel super grateful in that moment. You're feeling like, I wish this was happening to me. Mm -hmm. There is that feeling of what is wrong with you. And I've, I've heard that growing up so many times, unfortunately, um, that was the first thing that would be said to me if I was crying or upset. We weren't a very emotional. Um, my dad's side of the family is not very emotionally in tune. Um, and you internalize that. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, let's layer and compound the fact that forget therapists. I don't know if you grew up with this, but like we certainly had a lot of like, you don't need to tell everything to everyone. So even if they're your friends, mm-hmm. you don't need to expose everything about the family or your feelings. So in Telugu, they'll say, like, and um, I've grown up with that so much as well. So it creates these levels of secrecy and layers about yourself within your own family, mm-hmm. um, within your own friend groups. And so I almost feel like forget it if it's like a stranger that you have to open up to in this concept. So all of that is what really saddens me about, you know, the fact that it's such a missed opportunity in our community where we're such a supportive, warm, familial, joint family type of community, but we're almost failing ourselves and each other when we don't give that importance where we could help someone mm-hmm. truly when it was it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm curious because based off of your experience, you've expressed, right, that you've been to therapy, what would you say to someone who needs the help, right? Or maybe they're seeking the help, but they don't know how to start that journey. What would you say to encourage someone to seek out therapy or something outside of their immediate household if they do need help? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, by no means am I an expert. So I think if you and I are talking anecdotally, like what we think, mm-hmm. I, I've had this experience with someone who doesn't believe in therapy because they don't like to talk to people uh, aloud loud about their feelings. And so I learned from them that just telling someone to go to therapy isn't necessarily the most helpful thing, mm-hmm. but understanding maybe their style of expression. So like, more around what what do you think you're experiencing? How do you best want to express it? Do you want to write it? Do you want to 
draw it? Do you want to play it through music? Do you want to talk about it? If it's about talking about it, I feel more mastery around that because just from experience of six years of going to therapy. And I feel like I would recommend any, basically whatever your style is, any form of therapy, I feel like is so good for us. Even if there's nothing quote wrong, because obviously we're talking about that, like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be something wrong with you. Um, And so I would say that's always a really good step. Find the person who fits you and like your style and makes you feel comfortable, who doesn't trigger you when you talk to them. Yeah. If you're someone who is of color or you don't have the kind of heteronormative experience, find someone who is someone who can sympathize with that. Because I've been to a therapist who literally quoted me um, in Atlanta where she was like, in the chapter about Asian Americans, we read And I remember being like, holy shit, this person's supposed to help me. And she's just read about me in a textbook about broad Asia, you know? (laughs) So um, I think it's really important to find the style that works for you, the person um, type of therapy as well. I love that. That's such a good call out because for me, you're right. My form of therapy is journaling. And Mm so my, it sounds like my expression is not talking about it, but writing about it. And I love that. I think that's such a good call out. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I hope we can also promote more. I I certainly don't know about many of these alternate forms of therapy. We stereotypically now associate it with like, right, talking. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's been a workshop that I've been to um, locally in the Bay at Spirit Rock Center, where this man basically guided meditation in combination with journaling. Mm. So he would have like really interesting prompts and he would ask us to write kind of about our biggest fears and like purpose. And he would time it, make you stop and he'd pair you with a stranger. So that was also always very like, holy shit. Like I didn't know I was going to open up to a stranger you would share with each other and then you would punctuate it with a meditation Mm -hmm. Uh, and just sit still. Um, that that was, it was a simple meditation. And so I remember finding that so effective too, because sometimes the things we a- want to say, we can't really access consciously. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I definitely have had moments where I've meditated. I, it's something that I've actually picked up in, um, in the pandemic, but it's funny because after I meditate, I feel really great. And then I also yeah. have had conversations with like my sister where I'm like, I wish I could turn off my brain. And she mm-hmm. says the same thing. She's like, yeah, I wish I could turn off my brain too. And I'm just like, you know, there are definitely moments where I appreciate the thoughts that I have, but sometimes you just don't want to think about, you know, what you're going to be doing next or totally all of those thoughts that are creeping up. You know, one thing I do feel grateful about is like meditation is something that we were raised with. It's a mm. common practice in almost every subculture of religion in South Asia. Yeah. And, um, so we've talked about some of the things that hold us back Mm -hmm. from feeling like we can embrace mental health in our South Asian community, but like meditation, were there things or elements that you felt like being South Asian helped you in your journey for mental health? Absolutely. I would say first and foremost for me is my faith. Um, I've had an interesting journey, I feel like, with my religion. So I practice Sikhism. So mm-hmm. um, my mom would take us to the Gurdwara, so the Sikh temple, um, on Sundays as we were growing up. And for me, it was more of like, yay, we get to like get out of the house and we get to eat good food and 
I didn't really understand like what that really meant for me. And I think the older I got, the more I realized how important my religion was for me. It was, mm. it's always been something that I can come back to. I've definitely had moments where I've questioned my religion. Um, my, when I was in high school, my um, mom's mom, so my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she passed away. And she spent a lot of time with us as I was growing up. And I just was so angry. I was like, my God, why would you do this to me? Like I'm at my prime in high school, right? Our prime in <laughs> yeah, high school. I know. <laughs> that's Thank the thought. God I was I, not. <laughs> exactly, right? That's that's at least how I felt. And it was just such a vulnerable time for me where I, I had to, she was very religious. And I, I think I got a lot of that from her as well. So for me, it was natural to question the one thing that she felt um, rooted in. Because mm -hmm. it was, to me, also the thing that took her away, right? But I definitely yeah. believe in a higher being. And I think it's definitely been my pillar for doing things in a certain, you know, way or, or fashion. And I'm definitely not the type of person to project my religion onto other people. But I feel like it's definitely supported me, supported my dreams. It's supported where I'm at right now. And so I think for me... My faith has kept me grounded. So as we come to a close, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And hopefully this is something we're celebrating every day. However, in the meantime, if you were doing, let's say, an ad or billboard for Mental Health Awareness Month, what would Mina's headline or tagline be about mental health? Ooh, I like this. I feel like there's so many different avenues I would want to highlight. So first of all, let's say if you're driving down the freeway, you would see a lot of billboards by Mina. Um, <laughs> but I think the first thing that comes to mind is protect your mind. Mm, tell me more about that. I think there, there's so much that we consume unintentionally, right? There's this concept of mindlessly scrolling on your phone, whether you're on um, Instagram or Facebook or any sort of Twitter, right? Social media site. There are so many articles that come out about different topics, maybe that we're interested in. So many podcasts that are available about content that we might be interested in. TV, right? TV is another source of information. But I think mm -hmm. we have to be mindful of what we're consuming. Like, um, yes. When I when we were both working together, I remember sitting in in like one of our team meetings and our head of HR was like, it is actually detrimental to your health to watch the news first thing in the morning. And there have been articles that have come out about this because if we watch the news, right, I don't know about you, but I definitely get depressed at mm -hmm. times because it's telling me all the things that I don't necessarily want to start my day off with. So I think it's about being intentional about where we spend our time, who we give our energy to. Um, one of the things that has definitely uplifted me in, in this weird time of the pandemic, while we're trying to get out of it, but we're still in it, um, has been outdoor running. And I actually, I don't have a Peloton, but I use the Peloton app. And one of the instructors after each run, she's like, okay, you've just built, built up so much good energy now. Like, Make sure you give that to something or someone that deserves your energy. So I would say protecting our minds with the information we consume, being intentional about it, 
and, and being kind to ourselves throughout this journey that we're going through. I really appreciate that. And I think it's so important, especially now. Um, there's so much going on in the world. We're trying to stay afloat with all the changes and transitions our whole like globe is going through. But mm-hmm. it also, there's a point where there's only so much we can internalize and compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. So I, I love your advice. So speaking of your Minaisms, I would love to transition into the Chip Chip round, which is our fun round of questions. Yeah. I used to do rapid fire, but like it was hopelessly not. Um, I always <laughs> asked follow-up questions because it was always such an interesting answer. So we will move quickly. Okay. Perhaps not two seconds. Okay. I'm excited. Let's do this. Your favorite person in the world. Oh, oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to have to say I'm going to focus female and I'm going to give a shout out to someone who has known me my entire life and still loves me (laughs) despite my bad days and my uh, very fabulous ones. Uh, My mom. My mom has been such a, a strong supporter of me. I've learned so much from her a lot with mental health and I couldn't, I wouldn't be who I am without her. Heart is melting. Um, <laughs> if you had to marry any of the friends characters, man or woman, who would it be? <laughs> oh my gosh. Without a doubt, Ross Geller. He's just Wow. He you know, I I was very nerdy <laughs> when I was growing up in grade school. Like most people had friends. I had friends, but I had more books that were my friends. Um, so I just he definitely gives me that same vibe. He loves dinosaurs and he's just quirky, but can be commanding. His energy is just all what I'm about. So definitely Ross. Love it. I even have a a plant named after him. Oh, wow. (laughs) This is real. Yeah. I mean, his name is Geller because I, you know, wanted to give some shout out to Monica, but still very Ross-esque. Monica gets on my nerves. (laughs) I would probably marry uh, Rachel because I feel like she's the most fun and like chill. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Well, if Monica gets on your nerves, then I i hate to say many people have told me that I have Monica tendencies. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. After this conversation, goodbye. <laughs> so uh, next question. There is no more drinking water. All of a sudden. And from now on, you can only drink a beverage found on a Starbucks menu for the rest of your life. Mm. What would it be? So you're telling me I can't order water <laughs> from Starbucks? No. Okay. Oh, you're a smart ass, huh? <laughs> I, I'm i like a camel. I love water so much. I drink it. I don't know. Is, is it possible to drink too much water? But um, I if, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> if no water, then my go-to drink is a mostly grande uh, latte with nonfat milk, extra hot, no foam. Ooh, and I, if I'm good. feeling very adventurous, I'll get um, a little bit of the skinny cinnamon dolce syrup. Oh my God, you're wild. Get <laughs> out. <laughs> I know. Hard to tame me. <laughs> I know. So speaking of taming, you're going out and you want to look extra sexy. Ooh. What do you like to put on or do for that outlook? You know, I have definitely been all about loving my curves and who I am. So I would say I'd put on a dress that loves my curves as much as I do. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. I I also have big eyes. 
and I love mascara. So that would probably be like my secret. It's like putting on some really good mascara and maybe a pump of color on the lips. Oh, that sounds hot. Yeah. Who are three leaders or figures you're looking up to right now? Ooh, leaders or figures. Um, in no particular order, just based off of what I'm thinking about and content I've recently consumed. So Jay Shetty um, has been a really great source of inspiration for me recently. Mm-hmm. Henry is reading his book. I've been listening to his podcast. He just is it Think Like a Monk, his book? Yeah, Think Like a Monk. He's had such an interesting journey, this guy. He, mm. um, I'm not going to go into it, but I would say he has definitely been someone that has, has shared a lot of really good tidbits. So Jay Shetty. The second person is a... Um, fitness influencer. Her name is Whitney Simmons. She, I discovered her years ago, but she has this phrase that I absolutely love. And it's, it's not her phrase, but she shares it often. And it's, um, it's a beautiful day to be alive. Mm -hmm. And there is just something about that phrase. Like every video she does, she starts with it and leads with that and, and carries a lot of gratitude in what she does. So I appreciate her and focusing on loving yourself. And then the third one would be because I'm reading his book, Born a Crime, Trevor Noah. Oh, yeah. He he has definitely um, shared some really interesting experiences that I really appreciate. Definitely. And I encourage all of you to read his book. It's very good. Definitely going to do that next. I he's also just such a great guy to break things down in his like Mm -hmm. short form videos. So um, I definitely agree. Yeah. Mina, thank you so much for talking to me about something that is not super easy to also talk about objectively or subjectively. So I can't thank you enough um, for sharing your experiences and thoughts on mental health. Well, thank you for having me. I know I said this um, when we originally started to talk about this concept. I was a little nervous, I have to be honest, but I, I'm really so glad that we've had this conversation and it's definitely skimming the surface. Um, but I appreciate you having this platform us to all share our thoughts on. 